The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we're so fortunate to have returning to us our friend Michael Ellenbogen, one of the pioneers and self-advocates for Alzheimer's and dementia. Michael, welcome back to Different Brains. Well, thank you so much for having me back. It's great to see you again. Boy, time flies, and we were just talking before going on the air how in these coronavirus times, time kind of blends right in, and boy, my brain's getting a little fuzzy. I think people are getting to see what my world's like. You know, people expect you to know the date and time and all, but when you're in the home all the time, you don't know all that. <laughs> so it's been a while since you testified before Congress on Alzheimer's. Yes. Um, now, you first started getting symptoms at age 38, but weren't diagnosed till around age 49, something like that. Correct. Tell us how it's been the last couple of years since we last spoke. Actually, I, it's probably, I don't remember how long it's been, but I, I'm probably going to shock you because uh, I think it's been more than three years or four since you and I spoke in. But I'd say about three years ago, I was fortunate to get into a study that, as people may be aware, they have the new amyloid PET scan out there. Uh, and they also have something also new that's called the tap PET scan. And unfortunately, nobody could afford any of these things because they're so expensive. Uh, it, they're like $10,000 a piece. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to get into a Eli Lilly study uh, that tested for the amyloid PET scan. Well, to my surprise, after 10 years of diagnosis, they were able to find out that I tested negative for the amyloid, which means most likely I do not have Alzheimer's. So what does that mean? Well, when I was originally diagnosed, they thought I might have semantic dementia, which falls under the FTD category, or they were leaning towards the Alzheimer's. They chose to go down the path of Alzheimer's. Well, now it's putting me back on the FTD category. Do I believe they're right? To be honest with you, I don't think so, because I don't think anybody still knows yet. They're still trying to figure out the science. And I'm now trying to get into the TAL study so I can get that test, hopefully in a clinical trial. And I've been working on doing that for the past couple of weeks, and I hope to do that. And we'll see where that takes me. But if there's one thing I learned over the years is that no matter what your doctor thinks you got, he's probably wrong. Because <laughs> I learned from, uh, epid I can't remember how you say, epid a person who studies the brain uh, afterwards. I can't remember what they're, they're, they're called. But anyway, she had said that 60% of the people that they did biopsies on had five, I'm sorry, three types of dementia when they, after they passed. The record indicated that they only had one type and most likely it was Alzheimer's and it was really a mixed thing. So I guess what I'm trying to say is 
you can't worry about what the hell you have because they're probably wrong about it anyway because they're only guessing. And it is what it is, which I, I kind of hate that phrase, but I don't worry about it anymore. Well, it's one of the, uh, the good things about the newer technology because up till then, like when I was up at Boston University, you could only study these brains after the patient was deceased. And the pathologist was the one who had the final say on things. Uh, now with these newer scans, they're getting a little bit more prospective. So putting all the terminology aside, okay? What we like to focus on here at Different Brains is give us some of the tools that you've used that have helped you along your journey? Well, I got to tell you, for me, is not thinking that I have this disease. And what I mean by that is I just don't focus on it other than when I first introduced myself to somebody, I let them know that. But after that, it doesn't matter because they know. And no matter what I do or what I say, hopefully, because I already told them, they're going to treat me as normal as possible, knowing of the issues that I have. So to me, it's just get it out of the way as soon as possible. You know, like, I, you know, I, I've been selling a lot of things in my home and, you know, I got these people coming in. First thing I tell them is, hey, hey, I don't know how to do the math. You're going to have to help me here. <laughs> and it's like, People are very easy going. They help you. They try to make sure you understand what you're counting and how they're getting there. And I think there's a lot of good people out there. Now, I will say you got to watch out because sometimes you do expose yourself to some of the crooks that are out there, too. But overall, most people out there in society, you can count on to help you out and they'll, they'll go out of their way to help you. That's great. What are some of the advice, uh, what are some of the tools you might say, well, I think this has been good for my brain, like for instance, exercise, nutrition. What's been your personal experience? Oh, they're probably gonna shoot me for this. Because no, go ahead, we wanna hear from you. I, I started exercising a lot about five years ago and the only reason I really was doing that was really because I was hoping to lose some weight. Well, after working out an hour a day, probably about five days a week, I wasn't losing any weight. In fact, I was losing less weight, <laughs> which made no sense. And it didn't really help me with my dimension anyway. Uh, didn't help me at all, you know, which, you know, that they, they tell you today that, oh, you do all this exercise, you do all that. And to be honest with you, I used to walk up 11 flights of stairs every single day when I used to work. So it wasn't an exercise issue where I got my dementia. So the bottom line is exercise has never worked for me and it still doesn't. Uh, what, what works for me is a book that I read a long, long time ago, and I might've said this to you in the first uh, interview I had. It, it was a book that I read that says, don't sweat the small stuff. And they have two different versions of it, a business version, and uh, I guess a, a version for everyday living. And that has stuck with me all my life because you can't worry about the things you cannot change. I mean, you can, but it's just gonna aggravate the hell out of you and it's not gonna accomplish anything. So you might as well just accept it for what it is 
and deal with it at that level. And I mean, I try to make life the best I possibly can every day, no matter what. And I just don't worry about my errors anymore, especially now more than ever, because what, what are you going to say? Okay, you screwed up royalty or whatever. Well, I got Alzheimer's. What the hell do you want? It's like, hey, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be the best that I can. And if I'm not what you hope me to be, I'm sorry, you know, but this is just who I am today. Now, who do you live with? I live with my wife primarily. Uh, however, because of this COVID, I've been very fortunate. You know, some people say this COVID's been a good thing and a bad thing. Well, for me, it's been good because my daughter who lived in New York, she came back to live home since March and she's been here. She's actually going back in September, which I'm kind of glad to get rid of her after a while. But it's been great because we've gotten to see her uh, every, every day now. Oh, that's great. Um, what advice would you have for families where somebody in the family has, call it Alzheimer's, call it dementia, call it, what do you like to call it, by the way? I, I prefer to call it dementia. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like dementia uh, because they don't like the word, but it's not the word. It's what people think about dementia is the problem. So I think we need to educate people what it means to have dementia, what it is. I don't like the word demented, uh, but I understand in the clinical aspect of it, they may need to use that as a doctor. As long as the doctor isn't addressing me directly that way, that's fine. Uh, but I, I think we, we, we all get lost in all these words that we use and you know people say it's the wrong word, we shouldn't use this, don't call me this. I think it's all a matter of education and I think we need to educate people what the word really means. And I, to me, I, I, I'm okay with that. Okay. So um, what advice would you have for the families of someone with dementia? Well, one thing is you already know, you know one person with dementia, you only know one person. They're all very different. And that, that's probably a hard answer to give that's going to satisfy everybody but well, let, me, let me interrupt you to say this one of the reasons i started differentbrains.org was because my daughter who has asperger's and high functioning autism but we didn't know that till after she graduated georgia tech with a discrete math degree because she had 23 brain tumors two major brain surgeries seizure disorder but she's the one who told me it's on the cover of my book Asper Tools. no two brains are alike they're like snowflakes and absolutely you know, that one aspie if you met one person with dementia you've met one person with dementia so i think in the larger sense that's what we're encouraging people to do tune in on everybody's brain you don't have to be a brain surgeon to do that Tune in, that's what a good salesman does. That's what anybody who's sharp does and do it. So the, your first lesson is for the families to no matter what you're calling it is tune in on what are the differences in that person's brain? How is their family member's brain working a little bit differently regardless of the label? 
I call it being a detective because a good detective will try to figure out what is going on with the person and figure out how to possibly fix the situation. Not that all situations can be fixed, but if you can understand why somebody is doing something, then that hopefully makes sense. And the only way you understand things is by asking questions. And that's the biggest problem that I think happens in all families. They just see what happens to the person and they don't spend the time with the person to ask them why they're doing various things or why is this happening or how is this affecting you? How would you like me to handle situations like this? They don't have that dialogue. They just have the concept in their own mind of what they think they want to impose or what they should do. And that's wrong because they will never learn. And so sad. I, 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 I see so many caregivers every day talk about how they try to resolve all these things with their loved ones because they can't do this anymore and that. And it's like they're asking all these caregivers for additional help, but they're not asking the simple person that's right there that could probably help them give them the answer. It's like they don't want to talk to them. It's like, why? They're, they're your loved one. They, you, you'd probably know them best and you probably know how to get that from them. And if you ask it the wrong way, you ask it a different way if they don't understand. But there's a way to communicate and people just give up and they don't do that. And that to me is the biggest problem with caregivers is lack of communications. Well, that's great advice. That's great advice. You know, it always amazes me when we talk about any neurodiversity. It's true for all of us on everything with so-called, quote, neurotypicals. It's just when you're dealing with the neurodiversity, it's on steroids. You know, what a novel idea. Ask the person. Duh, you know. Um, and I should, I should add one thing. Go ahead. The person can't always speak, you know, and, and, and some people, after a while, they get to a point that they may need a lot more encouragement, a lot more help to be able to communicate. Sometimes, it, it, you know, they, they just can't express words anymore. So sometimes you may have to be the one to fill in with things by using simplified words and small little sentences and give examples and let them come back with one or two, with one question and let them answer that maybe by raising a finger, maybe by flickering their eyes, but there's a way to still communicate if you give that person some time. And when I say time, it might take as long as two minutes to get a response because their brains are slow. They don't process as quick. So ask your question, shut your mouth, and just listen and do this in quietness. And I bet a lot of people will be very surprised that all these people that they thought could no longer communicate will communicate in some form or fashion. Slow processing time is something we forget about. Take us back in time, if you can, to the moment when you knew, I got to get some help, something's going on here. I don't remember exactly, but it was around the age of 39. I was a high level functioning manager for a Fortune 500 company. I had staff reporting to me and all. And uh, I actually managed networks and data centers 
for uh, my, my company. And uh, I was the guy who was the go-to guy in the whole entire company. I mean, people came to me not only for that, but all kind of advice. I mean, financial advice, all kind of advice. I mean, I kind of was the know-it-all guy there. And uh, I, I realized in myself that I was struggling to come up with acronyms in my field, uh, four-digit extension numbers that I used to know. I was struggling with my direct reports first names. I was struggling for their name. Uh, so I, I originally said something to, to people and they said, oh, that's just normal, you know, getting old and all. And that may be true as you get older, you know, we, we do tend to, you know, slip our mind with certain things and all, but I think you have to start realizing the frequency of how often these things happen. And for me, it was happening a little too frequently. Uh, so uh, that's when I reached out to trying to get help. But unfortunately, when you're my age, sadly to say, they, they, they don't want to point out that you may have dementia. Uh, and, and it took almost another 10 years to get a diagnosis. Did they give you any provisional diagnosis or they just said, don't worry about it? Yeah, they said I was stressed and depressed, and I was not that. They tried to put me on drugs. The drugs made me feel happy, but it didn't do anything to improve. Didn't do anything to improve my uh, memory in any way. Uh, but uh, you know, people at my work definitely realized when I was on the drugs that I was a happier person, that I was more calm. But it definitely didn't do anything for my memory. Can you tell our audience about your advocacy and how you got into the congressional record and what pathways you took that might inspire them to do similar things? Well, I got to tell you, for me, I was a very successful person, no matter what I did in life. And uh, when I uh, left the workforce, that was really terrible for me because I was a workaholic. And I had to do something but a lot of the things that i'd love to do i no longer could do because of my dementia e even a lot of my hobbies so i kind of reinvented myself and i i will tell you early on when i started doing the advocacy uh i i was told so many times to stop doing it because i was putting so much pressure on myself that i found myself crying at times because I couldn't do it. But the more and more I pushed on, it got a little bit easier, just a little bit easier, but it took a long time. And when I say long time, it probably took me, I'd say close to six months to three quarters of a year before I was able to start feeling able to do this. And I got to a point where I was now doing this seven days a week. 12 to 14 hours a day by a year. And I slowly got really good at it. And uh, if I would have listened to all those people, psychologists around me and people at the Alzheimer's Association, they all said, don't push yourself. Don't push yourself. This is not good for you. Well, let me tell you, it's the best damn thing I could have done because I somehow was able to accomplish things that no other person with dementia has ever been able to accomplish. I mean, I, I was able to reach 
the World Health Organization out in Geneva to speak to 83 ambassadors of the world. And I was the only person with dementia who was not a part of any organization to have a year and be able to speak for two days there among all the ambassadors of the world. I mean, you tell me how a person who's normal can get accomplished what I did. Again, you know, I, I've had three congressional records. I've testified be, be in front of government. I've done so many things. I've gotten AARP to do what they're doing for dementia. I mean, if it wasn't for me, AARP today wouldn't be supporting dementia. I mean, the, the things that I've been able to accomplish to connect to all the CEOs of the world around this disease and to bring the advocacy and, and to get other people to come on board to do what I started doing, as you said, I was one of the pioneers and I'm not the pioneer. There are probably three people ahead of me that were pioneers, but I was probably one of the most successful out there in my ways of accomplishing things. And I've gotten a lot of other people to come on board. And nowadays I'm starting to slow down. I'm not the person I was anymore, but I hope people will step up to the plate like I did and pick up where I left off and hopefully someone outdo what I've done because that's what it's going to take to find a cure for this and to get the funding that we need and to get government to do what they do. You know, so many people have the attitude that, well, I said it once, they didn't hear me, I'm walking away from it. Well, you're in the wrong business because in this business, as you already know, you got to keep saying it over and over and over and sound like a broken record. And I, that was never me. I hated doing that, but it's a different business. It's a different world. You know, every time Congress changes, you know, you, you got to start all over again. People don't realize that. It's like, you don't, you don't go from where you left off. You got to start all over again. It's like, oh, terrible. But hey, that's the world we live in. And if you want to bring change, that's what you have to do. And you can't let anything stand in the way. If somebody says in front of you, it can't be done. Well, you know what? I go around them and find somebody else. And I've always done that all my life. And that's how I've won all these cases against the government to make things better for people with dementia. I don't accept no. I find somebody that can help me. I've got a great team, Arnold, Arnold and Porter of uh, lawyers who are willing to stand by me and do all this work to help me out anytime I run into situations and they stand for people with dementia and they help people with dementia because they realize we need help and they're out there to help the minute I ask for their help. Wow, well, you're full of piss and vinegar, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you have to be. Michael, what's the biggest single thing most of society does not realize about Alzheimer's and dementia? Uh, that's a very easy answer, that it impacts everybody in some form or fashion, whether it's financially or it's somebody that you know. What, if anything, have we not covered today that you would like to cover? Well, the, the, the one thing I encourage people to do is to step up to the plate no matter how small it may be, to do advocacy. You know, advocacy doesn't mean you have to take hours and hours of your time. I mean, it, it, it could start with a simple letter that you write and just change the name of that t title 
and send it to your congressmen, your senators, you know, your local state officials, and send it four times a year. It could be the same damn letter, just change a couple of things in it and just reword it. That, that makes such a huge impact that people don't realize. But it could start with something so simple. And if everybody did that, again, we probably wouldn't be talking about that today. We'd have a solution. They're starting to get it. But then again, we keep running into big issues like COVID. And we had the outbreak a couple of years ago. I forgot what that, uh, oh, I can't remember that disease. Big from Africa. Ebola. Ebola, yeah. yeah. They're ready to give billions and billions every time one of these things come up. You ask for that for dementia, and that kills just as many damn people, and they don't. But yet, what, what can you do? It's like every time we get a little pot of money ready to go, it gets used up for something else. Good advice. Michael Ellenbogen, a true champion. Um, What's the biggest single piece of advice you'd have for families and those who might be seeing in themselves signs of early dementia? What's the best advice you can give them? To not prolong going to get a diagnosis. So many people fear about getting a diagnosis because they think it's dementia. Well, it's not always dementia. There's many things that could create issues that mimic the dementia issues. So it's very important to go to the doctor, get seen, get treated. Uh, and if it is dementia, the good news is you could get put on some drugs that might help you cognitively improve a little bit better. And the sooner you're on these drugs, the better off you are. So no matter how you look at it, you will benefit from it. Uh, you know, you, you, you didn't do anything wrong because you get this disease. And, and so many people are so afraid to talk about it. It's like, it's no different than cancer or any other disease. Hey, we didn't do nothing wrong. At least so far in our lives, we don't know what causes this disease. You Absolutely. Know? I mean, I, I, I should, let me correct myself on that. We are starting to know a little bit for those people who play football, for those people who play soccer and things like that. I got to tell you, I don't know if their lives are worth to continue playing those games, because if I had the choice, I wouldn't let my kids play those games knowing the outcome. No money is worth the value of destroying your brain. Yeah, and my 26 pro heavyweight fights didn't help my brain either. But you didn't know then. You didn't know those kind of things. Now we're starting to finally know some of yeah. that. So you, you, you can't know, blame people you like bring that. bring up an interesting point. Because I remember years ago when I was fighting and I got a lot of national publicity because it's a good story, an orthopedic surgeon, a pro fighter, donating purses to children's charities. And I remember all the big shows, Good Morning America, Roy Firestone, you know, all of the shows. And I remember that one of their questions was always, aren't you worried about hurting your hands? You're a surgeon. And I would say, how come nobody asked me about my head? But back, you're right, back then it wasn't a big deal. Now, many years later, we know better. Although, you know, there's no, who was it, Mark Twain? I forget who said it. 
there is no process, no extent to which man will not go to avoid the process of thinking. You know, like, duh, getting hit in the head might not be good for you, you know. Or it's like we go to McDonald's and have 10 Big Macs and say, I wonder if that's good for us, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Is there anything we here at differentbrains.org with our wonderful neurodivergent uh, interns and team can do to be of help to you in achieving your great goals? Well, the biggest goal I've been trying to get to, and I've had it out there on my LinkedIn, I got big ambitions. I have been trying to meet with the president of the United States for, I don't know, I guess seven, eight years now. Uh, I believe, and I have no doubts, that if I can make that happen, I can change the world again for dementia. And I don't mean the United States. I do mean the world. Well, Michael Ellenbogen, champion for Alzheimer's and all kinds of dementia, the self-advocate of our dreams, thank you so much for being with us here on Exploring Different Brains. Thank you so much. And I hope we can do this uh, the same amount of time again. Uh, and hopefully I'll still be speaking, hopefully. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.